everybody to this brand new podcast, It's a Crazy Life. My name's Sarah and I'm just a crazy lady on a mission to motivate, educate and inspire you on your very own journey to become the best version of yourself. Welcome back everybody to the It's a Crazy Life podcast. As always, my name's Sarah and I will be your host. Today, we welcome the incredible Kimberly Holder of Revamp Cosmetics in Redditch. Kim was once a mental health nurse in the British Army, but has now turned her hand to aesthetics. Kim is talking to us today about PTSD within the Army and what therapies are best for managing PTSD. Kim also explains what she does now as an aesthetics nurse and how this too can help people with mental health. So let's get amongst it. So Kim, thank you so much for joining us um, on the show today. I am so excited to have you here. And um, today, as you know, we are talking PTSD and I really wanted to bring somebody on with your background, which is the military. As so many people, um, as we were saying just a second ago, think that PTSD only happens to people in the army or in the armed forces and people that have lived in a war zone. But from our little chat a couple of weeks ago, it's quite clear that that theory just isn't true, which was really eye-opening for me. So I can't wait to hear your opinion on PTSD and also the different therapies that people can take part in. As sometimes I feel that there isn't enough information readily available for people to inquire about or even learn about what could be you know, best for them and their recovery. We are sometimes just blinkered into thinking it's just counselors and psychiatrists. So it's my intention with this episode to raise people's awareness to the different types of therapies that there are out there. So let's begin, Kim. Welcome. How are you? Hi, I'm good, thank you. It's nice the sun's out today. Mr. Yes. Sun's got his hat on. It's always good for the mood. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> most definitely. So, Kim, um, we're so excited to have you here. Uh, let's jump on thank it. Thank you. So, what is your story then, Kim? So I'm um, obviously born and bred Liverpool. Uh, I don't know if you can tell my accent's quite soft now, but uh, I left to join the army in 2003. Bright eyed, bushy tail, didn't know what I was getting into at all. Uh, they looked at my qualifications and sent me off to be an avionic technician at first. Wow. So I trained to fix the, um, the Lynx, the Gazelle, the Apache. Uh, wow. Did that for six years. wasn't something that I necessarily enjoyed I didn't it didn't fulfill me because I'm more of a people person and then I learned that you could do mental health nursing in the army so I transferred into the Queen Alexandra's Royal Army Nursing Corps and um, went down the, the route of mental health in the in the army so to be a nurse in the army you have to still do the the, the training because you're still regulated wow. and uh, with the NMC which is the Nurse and Midwifery Council so you still need the proper qualification so yeah, courtesy of Her Majesty the Queen, I went off to Birmingham City University and did my nurse training, qualified in 2012, and then got my first post into DCMH Aldershot, which is the Defence Centre for Mental Health in Aldershot, looking after the troops down there, covering a population of around 17 to 20,000 people. Christ! <laughs> That's a lot of <laughs> It was a lot of people, hard work, yeah. I bet, I bet. So what is it that you do now? Because you're not in the army anymore, are you? No. Well, I, I left, uh, officially I left in uh, May 2016. So I opened my own business with the full intention of staying in mental health, but the business exploded and I had another baby. Life just took over. And it is my intention to take it back up at some point um, when life slows down a little bit. But uh, it's finding the time. It, I am gutted that I haven't picked it back up and I will do. 
but um i do i miss my time you know looking after patients because you feel like it's not that i'm not doing something worthwhile now because i am helping people build their confidence in my current job yeah you do get yeah as a nurse you want to give back and you want to look after people i suppose so yeah i will get back into it yeah that must be quite crazy though because you went into the army i suppose not really with a direction and then mm -hmm. you're fixing these these helicopters and stuff like that and then all of a sudden you're a mental health nurse so yeah. how did you feel were you just drawn into that or was it your um, you don't know what you don't know when i joined the army i just wanted to be a soldier and i wanted a job that was different because i'm quite different <laughs> in a nice way hopefully but, um <laughs> You know, I, I didn't know what I was getting into. I just wanted to join the army and see the world and get out there. And so, yeah, when I joined up, I didn't really know what I was getting into. So I was kind of led by the careers office and it's no fault of theirs. I didn't know what I wanted. And, you know, they obviously thought they were doing what was right by me, which is not that they did any wrong. It's just as I got into the job, I just realised it wasn't for me. And as you start looking and you learn more and once you're in the army, that there's lots of other jobs out there. And I just found my calling so to speak fantastic so it's like a calling it does feel like that yeah for me I'm like kind of like I feel like this is what I need to do it's all I can think about <laughs> <laughs> no it is it's, I think as an 18 year old or you know I think people that know what they want to do from such an early age are very very lucky you know and because yeah. you know the, the, and this is why you get these people that go on to do massively great things because they've known from a young age what they wanted to do and they've climbed the ladder really quick well, it seems quickly but they just started a lot younger than most I, I mean I got into nursing at 26 if I'd started at 18 maybe I, you know where where would I be now but it doesn't matter everything leads us to where we are now doesn't it so yeah most definitely brilliant <laughs> okay so that's you so let's get into <laughs> a bit about ptsd so in your professional opinion what is ptsd so ptsd it's an anxiety-based disorder and it normally comes obviously from well experiencing a traumatic event and uh, you know from the diagnostic material it says that you know it's a life-threatening event usually but uh, obviously it, it, it's all subjective isn't it so whether you could look at somebody's um experience and think well that wasn't life-threatening but they may have believed that it was so it's it's such a hard thing to say you know though that's not ptsd because their life wasn't a threat well if, if that person believed it was then it, it, to them it, it was life-threatening so therefore they could go on to develop ptsd but uh, yeah it is very much a life an anxiety-based disorder and depression tends to come in hand with it as well unfortunately yeah, we heard that from Pete Martin a couple of weeks ago that um, just because something's traumatic for you doesn't mean it would yeah. for me. So it's all person based, isn't it's it? It's very, very subjective, which makes it so hard sometimes to diagnose because it's, it, it doesn't have to necessarily have, you know, what I believe is life threatening is maybe not what you believe is life threatening. And, you know, it's, it is subjective, very subjective. Crazy. It's, it's a minefield, isn't it? This it is. Mental health is a minefield, unfortunately. But I think, you know, in terms of progress, we really are getting there. And the stigma, the awareness is, you know, being raised and there's a big push at the moment. It's constantly on the radio, which is very helpful. So hopefully, you know, people will feel more at ease about coming forward for help. Definitely. And I suppose... Well, I'm, I'm guessing, I'm assuming, and um, in the army, I suppose there was a lot of, um, you know, it's heavily men, men based, isn't it? It's a male yeah, environment. Yeah. And as we know, um, you know, male mental health is quite big at the moment. There's a lot of push. It is. That. But I bet for you, it was hard to deal with men with mental health because 
a lot of men don't like to talk, do they? They don't like to. They don't like to talk, and I think the first step is for them to to go and seek help. You know, and sometimes I think with the army, that's another thing that they were good at because you live in such close proximity. People, you talk to look out for each other, and you know they they do now. We used to do health fairs where we would go, obviously teach people about the signs and the symptoms, like the buddy buddy system. So how to spot, you know, things with their friends that like little things, sort of that it's like changes in behaviour and stuff like that. So that then that you know maybe give them a nudge and say mate you know you need to maybe go speak to somebody about that and go to the doctors and get the referral and into the dcmh but um i think they, they as i certainly in my time there was people were not caught more likely to come forward than they would have been probably 10 20 years ago so yeah, yeah they, it, it's get, we're getting much much better it's more out there it's not seen people are now recognizing that they're just as prevalent as a as a physical health problem and, you know, hopefully, you know, it's just something that you will need to get fixed. Like if you broke your arm, you would go to the hospital. So hopefully we'll get in there in terms of physical and mental health, the disparity between the two, hopefully coming in line with each other and, you know, people getting access to Because obviously the earlier you get help, the, the, the treatment is likely to be more effective. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. It's so it's so, um, you know, it's it's like good to hear that things are changing and, and it's getting more and more people are talking more and more about this. And it's not as much of a stigma anymore. Yeah. As it was 20 years ago. If only we could see it. If only we could see. No, no. It's the invisible illness, isn't it? OK, so in your time as a mental health nurse in the army, did you ever deal with any um, cases of PTSD? Yeah, but like I said to you on our phone call a few weeks ago, it wasn't as, as much as you would think, you know, it's, it's, I've just been reading, I think is it one in eight people suffer from mental health problems in the army, which sounds a lot, but actually in terms of the population in the army, it's not that much, but PTSD is not as prevalent as you would imagine, it's really, you know, most of the illnesses I personally dealt with would have been like depression, anxiety, and adjustment disorders, so I don't know if you know what an adjustment disorder is, so it just comes from so it's it's not it's not PTSD but they've now I think they've changed the what it's called stress something disorder uh, so when somebody goes through a life-changing event or a loss so they're um, they're struggling to cope with it emotionally and it can affect their behaviors but it's not quite PTSD I think the difference is whether the experience was traumatic enough to be sort of life-threatening and there uh, is it's normally with an adjustment disorder it can occur within sort of three months of the the incident happening so it can happen after a bereavement and a lot of the lads coming back from Afghanistan and stuff like that they would have an adjustment disorder and as you can imagine it is a big adjustment you don't just come from a place like that and then just settle straight back into civilian or normal life right. you know so there, there's a period of adjustment right. you know so yeah so that that was a lot more common than PTSD which is shocking because, like, like I said um, in, in the introduction, people think that it's only soldiers or people who've lived in war-torn countries that would get PTSD. And I was shocked that I got diagnosed with PTSD because I've never lived. But I suppose yeah. in my trauma, it was as a child. A trauma's a trauma. It doesn't matter. And I've dealt with people in the army that have had PTSD and, you know, that wasn't, wasn't service-related. It really? came from before they joined yeah so it's not yes PTSD exists very much out there but um you know in the army it's not all about just just Afghanistan I did deal with people with PTSD from you know pre-service stuff so before they joined up like you say childhood things you know a lot of that so yeah it's crazy isn't it you just I don't know I suppose us being out here on the outside we just look in and think wow that's that you know that would be what it is it's the same for service people though because obviously you leave the army and nobody knows what to do with you if you say that you 
you've got this, you know, it is PTSD. Nobody knows what to do with you because you're you're a veteran, you know. So then they they struggle to to get you the treatment because the services aren't necessarily out there, or there's nobody for them to refer to. Where so the NHS, I think, not. I mean, obviously, it's just my opinion that uh, they struggle to kind of to place you and to get you the help because they don't know what to do with you. But really, it's the it take away what the trauma is. It's the exactly. symptoms. So they should yeah. be. I mean, there are there are services out there like combat stress and things like that for, for you know, veterans to get them sort of the, the treatment that they need. I'm sure the waiting list is massive. But yeah, I think service or ex-service personnel coming out of the army struggle to get help if they've because like you say a lot of times they, they don't want to come forward and sometimes they may leave and think that's going to fix the problem you know but and then they can't get the help because the you know the outside world doesn't know what to do with them it's quite it's it's, it's such a shame because you know i i love the military i i fair play respects to you guys because it you know you you protect the sort of thing and you just think these guys have fought for us they've given their lives they've lost people and they're just they come out and they're just sort of like, oh, like a hot potato. We don't know what to do with yeah. you. So we're just going to leave you. Yeah, yeah, it's hard. it's hard. It really is hard. And there are there are services out there, but again, like you said, it's whether the people know where to go. You know, and obviously, hopefully, the NHS is is catching up, and that you know there there are services available that they can refer to. I mean, I'm not sure. So, but I know personally combat stress is a service because I've had friends work for them that have been in the military as a mental health nurse and left and gone and worked with combat stress. But um, from my own personal, you know, they just don't know what to do with you. So, Combat stress then. I'll, I'll have a little look at that and I'll put that link underneath right up for this. Yeah, podcast. yeah. You never know who's listening and who might, who might not know about that. <laughs> yeah. You explained earlier that you were also a CPN. So... In your experience um, whilst being a CPN, what therapies would you say were the most beneficial to people who were suffering with PTSD? So when I was when I was serving myself, we used to use trauma-focused CBT and EMDR. So trauma-focused CBT is it's just like obviously CBT is the same thing, but obviously for trauma. Um, so it looks at the thoughts and the feelings and how they affect the behavior. So analyzing those and trying to rationalize the negative thoughts to deal with that because obviously it's like a fire so if you take away the, the fire triangle so you've got the, the fuel the oxygen and then obviously what's the other one the third, the third one ignition. oh no fuel, ignition. Yeah, fuel a... oxygen and oh there's the other one anyway take one away and there's no fire <laughs> so it's like that with cbt so you know if you can address so it's the thoughts, feelings, behaviours. If you can address one of the triangles, then you break the cycle. So it's looking at maintaining cycles to obviously address the behaviour. And normally what it is is to address the thought. So if you address the negative thought, then it stops the emotions from building up and then it obviously will the, the behaviour will change. So, you know, some if, if you have a thought that makes you feel angry, then the behaviour is to be violent or aggressive. Yeah. Then obviously if you can address the thought, it stops the anger and it stops the behaviour. So that's the theory behind the, the CBT. So it's looking at the, the thoughts and the emotions to try and address the behaviours. And just to again, go back to sort of with the military, it's quite an occupational service. So we try and give people therapy alongside keeping them in work and keeping them functioning. It's about functioning because obviously with work, you get your social life, your routine, a sense of purpose, your identity. So obviously it's quite, that was quite an important thing to keep people in, in work. And that was another factor that may have stopped people coming forward because they believed that you were going to take them off work or sign them off certain things. And that wasn't the case. The, the main driving force of, of our service was occupation. So to keep the army obviously moving 
And um, so we would advise their, their bosses and their employers, so to speak, on how to employ them best without sort of removing them from the workplace because it kind of makes me feel even worse, a bit like a kind of a, a leper, if that's the right or wrong word, I don't know, but you, know, you don't want to kind of stigmatise it even further by removing them from that and also by keeping them at work. People can still sort of make sure they're okay and, you know, keep an eye on them as well. That's really good. That's so important because what you just said there about purpose, purpose is a big driver, isn't it? If you feel like you've got- It is huge your mental health you know you, you feel like you're striving towards something so you, yeah you have reason to get out of bed in the morning isn't it you know so and when you take that especially with depression even though it's the last thing you want to do to get up and to go to work and you feel like you've achieved something and you know it gives you that sense of self-worth and yeah yeah, yeah. wow that that's really interesting Okay, so on that then, you mentioned EMDR. Oh, okay. <laughs> around because I'm in a lot of mental health groups on Facebook, and um, I'm in a lot of American groups as well because they oh, yeah. they look at mental health in a totally different way. I yeah, yeah, and this EMDR, it seems like it's readily available, um, but we don't hear about it a lot over in in England. So, what is it? Sure, why? It's, it's basically it's eyes movement desensitization reprocessing or reprogramming. So it basically that what they're trying to do is replicate. So have you heard of REM sleep? Yes, yeah. So what that they, they believe that, that in that state of sleep, that's where the brain is processing. So what you've been through the, the day, any kind of memories, that sort of stuff. The brain is like a computer, it needs to make sense of things in order to file it away. Yeah. put it to to you know to bed so to speak um so by doing that you're helping the brain to, to process so they believe that emdr basically re replicates that or reproduces that whilst you're awake so helps you to access certain parts of the brain that aren't maybe online while you're awake to help you process these the trauma and the memories so that they're not as disturbing as they were before so the analogy somebody used was like you know this this traumatic memory is like um a file or a lot of puzzle pieces on the floor and you know you just can't seem to pick them up so you know put them in order and put it back in the filing cabinet away in an orderly fashion and store it correctly and move on or you know be able to recall the memory and look at it without the level of emotional distress so emdr so it's not wiping the memory away it's helping you process it and store it in a normal way so that you can recall that memory and look back at it but without the same level of emotional distress as it was causing you before so um, it's not wiping it out but it's still very much obviously it's not gonna you can't wipe it out if only we could in some cases but you know so it's just it's a way of basically helping you process a memory um and to reduce the level of emotional distress so basically with a with a trauma what tends to happen is the brain to make sense of it say if you feel guilty about something what the brain can warp the memory to fit the emotion because if they don't match then the brain can't compute that so the memory can be altered and changed to fit the emotion so then it's not stored correctly the brain knows that something's not right so it'll just keep popping back up so by helping you to reprocess and re you know re kind of put the the jigsaw back together and help it make sense it can reduce the you know because sometimes you hear like when people say oh I could have done this or I should have done that and they feel guilty about something yeah. the memory the memory's warped to kind of fit that emotion and then when you go back and you reprocess it and they realize actually there's nothing I could have done I didn't have the time because obviously in their brain the memory's been changed so that they did have the time when they keep rethinking it it seems like there was this time to go back and to fix it but actually when when they reprocess it they realize that 
that they, they couldn't, there was nothing that they could have done. There wasn't the time and they didn't have the right resources or whatever you know the reason was, but there was nothing that could have been done differently. And then the, the emotional distress is brought right down then. And when they realize that that's not what actually happened because the brain has changed it to fit how they felt. Yeah. Oh my goodness. So when you're like lying in bed at three o'clock in the morning and you sleep and then you keep having this flash of something that you did 25 years ago and you feel guilty for it, is that because the brain, you're feeling guilty for it when really you shouldn't and the brain's showing you that? It's obviously, I'm not saying if you've done something wrong and you feel guilty about it, then then yeah, you know, sometimes when like, especially with like trauma situations, generally, you know, even if say like you you froze, like your body goes, you've got no control over that. You've got the fight, flight, freeze response, and it, it, there's nothing. But the brain can alter the memory to fit the emotion because otherwise it doesn't. The brain can't compute. It has to kind of fit, and it'll make its best fit to kind of like fudge the pieces together. But then it knows something's not not right, so it will keep bringing it back up because it's like this isn't right. This isn't right. You need to process this. There's something wrong. It's like a bit of a glitch. Yeah. So yeah. yeah. Wow, we, we are so powerful. We don't realise, do we? We don't realise. The brain's how. amazing at what it can make you think. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh my goodness! Well, thank you for explaining that. And is EMDR um, therapy is that expensive? If obviously the more qualified your therapist was, I mean, I only kind of did like uh, I think I was level two trained, but I didn't have a certificate or a postgrad qualification in it. So I'm sure the higher the, the person is, then yeah. Yeah. you're probably looking at uh, probably 50 pound an hour minimum I would say mm-hmm. but it is quite powerful and you know I've seen that moment where the, the light bulb kind of comes on and the person is just like oh my god mm-hmm. and it's like you know they're just they're fixed in an instant it's quite it is a very very effective and powerful treatment and like obviously they do have to get involved CBT is more for people that need to talk about things and kind of process it that way EMDR is not for everyone just like CBT is not for everyone and EMDR seems to work well with them with with trauma but for people as well that aren't necessarily the, the talking kind of type Yes, you do have to do some talking, obviously, but uh, you don't have to go into as much depth as you would with the CBT. Right. And could this EMDR, could it help? Because, you know, some people, they've just blocked out trauma. Something's happened, but they don't know what it is. Could that help those people? Um, I've seen it. Generally, you kind of need to be able to identify the trauma to be able to pinpoint it. To, to access the, the memory on some level to be able to do the EMDR so maybe hypnosis might be better for that sort of thing but you know I don't know much about that but where it's blocked um I'm, so, I'm sure there are protocols for helping unblock that I, I didn't go to that level personally with my training um but generally I would say that you probably would have to be able to at least identify some part of the trauma and able to access yeah. But uh, the, with the MDR, there's lots of protocols, so I'm sure there probably is one for that. I'm not saying that there isn't, yeah. but yeah, it's a very, very effective treatment. Fantastic. Thank you for that, because I've been wondering for ages, and, and you can research all you want, but mm. until you actually speak to someone, you don't really know the ins and outs of it. So thank you so much for sharing. That's all right. I might look into EMDR. <laughs> <laughs> have a go I, I mean there's apps and stuff you can do your own EMDR but then yeah. I probably wouldn't advise that like yeah. you know, just, um, <laughs> but um you know you just I'd definitely go for some sessions yourself if if, like, if trauma's a thing and you know if you're still struggling with it because it does help you just kind of come to terms with things and be able to move on and like I say recall the memory and obviously if it was a sad event you can feel sad but then it can be like right now I'm going to get on with my day rather than 
it's popped back up and that it, that's it, it's ruined your day or your week or, you know, it's, it's started, a, you know, a downward spiral of something else. Yeah, and I suppose by solving that, you could solve the rest of your triggers around it that pop up. Of course. Well, that's what with PTSD because obviously the body and uh, we forget that we're animals don't we you know we're yeah. quite, we are animals at a basic level and that's where like PTSD is identifying the triggers because sometimes the body is aware of it before the brain is and you know to the fight flight mode kicked in and the brain's like I have no idea what's happening yeah. we just go into this kind of like because the body's picked up on some threat before the, the brain's even noticed what's going on because you know the, yeah so it's identifying the triggers you know trying to sort of when, when something does trigger it, try and sit down and like think about what happened, you know, what triggered that, what, where was I, who was I with, what was going on around me. Because if you can identify the triggers, you can start to, you know, it basically not, not self-treat, but self-soothe and helps to sort of regulate your own emotions. And you can't avoid all of these triggers. So sometimes it's just everyday life, isn't it? Like being in a crowded place would be, if that's a trigger for you, then that's a difficult situation to keep on avoiding for the rest of your life. So you know and if it is at a point where you're doing you are avoiding that you've identified your trigger and you just completely avoid those situations and sometimes that that's maladaptive whilst it's a coping strategy that's not good is it? it's not good for everyday functioning you know to the point where you, you know you can't go to you know a, a cinema or you can't get on the bus or the train or things like that so you know that that's when you need to identify that it's, it's time to get help yeah fantastic that's that's so good to hear thank you so next what would your advice be to somebody who is struggling with their mental health so not just ptsd but mental health in general what would you say to them um i just obviously try and try and be kind to yourself and just allow you know nobody's perfect this idea that we can't do this we shouldn't do that i always say to people you know if um, you know, they say, oh, somebody's always got it worse, I shouldn't be feeling like this. They say, well, somebody always got it better, so you shouldn't be happy then. Yes, you know? yeah, it is. It's just, you, know, you can't beat yourself up, just cut yourself some slack. You know, if you want to have an off day and have a pity party, do it, but just don't let it last forever, yeah. you know. And I think just talking to friends and just, you know, I, I obviously I'm married, I'm married for 10 years, my husband's my best friend, and I, I talk to him. But uh, it's just, and also just kind of like rationalizing your own thoughts. But when you talk to people, obviously saying things out loud can help you process things too. And um, sometimes if you, if you don't talk to people in your own head, it's the world according to you, which sometimes is not a nice place to be. Yeah. So, you know, my husband's the first person to be like, no, that didn't happen. Or, you know, shut up. But why, why would you say that? That's not right at all. So by saying it out loud, either you're processing it yourself or the other person can correct you. You know, if you just say, oh, I'm such a bad person, and I just be like, no, you're being an idiot, you know, and he'll, he'll correct me and he'll point things out that, you know, you've done this, you've done that, you know, and it's just about rationalising your thoughts and just, and sometimes if you believe something and it's really upsetting you and it's, you've had this thought, then I would challenge the thought, you know, well, why is that true? Or, you know, say a friend, I've texted a friend and she hasn't messaged me back and I'm thinking, oh my God, have I upset her? Now that now I'm, I don't know if it comes with maturity on with my background, I just message and I just be like, are you okay? Have I done something? I'd rather ask the question than worry myself stupid yeah. over potentially nothing, you know? So yeah. I think just challenging your own thoughts. And like I say, the, inside your own head, it can not be, not be a very nice place to live sometimes. So talking out loud to somebody can help you process it and help them to kind of point you in the right direction. And, you know, because sometimes we can't see the wood for the trees. So 
talking to somebody else just helps them to give you you know some insights into you know your, your own behaviors and challenge your own your thoughts for you if, if you can't do it for yourself yeah because sometimes our thoughts and emotions they can like literally take over and and, and take- yeah and it's awful and with covid i can see you know, especially single people living alone you are you're literally stuck at home in your own little world with no you know so it's just it's about reaching out and accessing the self-help i mean there's a lot online there's, there's a few that we used to use mood juice yes. mood gym the big white wall um what else was there I think the big white wall was a good one because there's um, mental health nurses on there as well that you can talk to. I'm not sure if this is a subscription, whether you have to pay for it. Um, but yeah, it's, you can talk to people with similar issues, but it's um, there are mental health nurses that do, there was, that the sort of kind of man that and obviously that you can chat to there. And then obviously there's the Samaritans and, you know, obviously if things do get bad, then it's 111999 or, you, you know, you go to A&E if, if things are at sort of crisis point. Yeah, thank you for that. So that was the big white wall. Yeah, I think that's the biggest one out there, yeah. I've never heard of that. Thank you for that. Um, that's excellent. What do you do then, Kim, to keep your mental health in check, especially, as you've just said, over this last sort of 18 months with COVID? Yeah, I kind of just vent at people. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I do. I just, I am a talker. I have to get it out. I have to process it and I have to make sense of it. So I think I chew my husband's ear off, to be honest. <laughs> but uh, just challenging my own thoughts. I'm quite laid back. And I think that comes from not sweating the small stuff and just cutting yourself some slack. And like I said earlier, like allowing yourself to have that down day, as long as it doesn't go on for more than a day. Yeah. you know you know if you feel how you feel it's not ignoring your emotions acknowledging them and sort of recognizing how you're feeling having the insight and then sometimes you know putting things in place to pull yourself out of that if that's you know because sometimes when you are a bit low it, it can if you let it go on it will go on so you've got to kind of like right I'm going to go phone my friend I'm going to go see my friend I'm going to FaceTime someone if you can't get out of the house due to isolation or whatever but do something that makes you happy. So for, for me, it's like listening to music. I've got songs that cheer me up instantly. Yeah. So things like things like that. And obviously, your yeah, exercise is good for the endorphins, getting out there and going for a walk, even if, if you don't want to go, you know, if you don't feel like you want to be too physically active, you're feeling quite low. Just being outside in the fresh air and doing just whatever it is that makes you happy, do more of that. Yeah, fantastic. Thank you for that. So Kim, let's talk about your current career. So you are an, a, a, well, an aesthetics nurse, is that correct? Yes. So it's now a recognised part of nursing. So I'm still registered with the Nursing Midwifery Council. My pin is still active and I'm a nurse prescriber. So I, um, I do cosmetic injectables. So that, that's the umbrella that it kind of comes under, which is all kind of like anti-aging, anti-wrinkle, sort of skin treatments, that sort of thing. Um, we do, I do a lot of different things, but... Yeah, I will get back into the mental health. As I said earlier, I do need to do it. And I did try over COVID, but uh, I think I've got to do some refresher training now. It's been a little while. But initially, when I did leave the army, I struggled to get a job for the NHS because I had no NHS experience, even though I was obviously quite qualified. They wouldn't have me. I know. That's the first thing I did when I left. They wouldn't have me because I had no NHS experience. So, um, yeah. (laughs) <laughs> I'd say that your experience in the military was probably a little oh. bit more hardcore than, than mainstream <laughs> it's just that that was their criteria and they advised that I maybe go and do a few shifts in a nursing home I don't know how that would help to build up my experience but um, hopefully at some point I'll get there but breaking into the NHS is quite hard so yeah 
Yeah, you think like right now they'd be like, yes, anybody who's got mental health experience. Yeah. But the thing is as well, now they want full time. And obviously with my business, I've worked so hard to build that up. I can't commit to full time hours. I've got two little girls and life's busy, busy. So yeah, I need to, um, I will, I will do it. But I do love my current job at the moment. It just suits me. So I work around the kids and I think that probably helps my mental health. It takes away a bit of the stress. Being it. Working for yourself is hard. Yes. But then obviously you've got to take the rough with the smooth, haven't you? So, but um, I, I don't work from home. I rent a room, so I've got quite a, so, it's a social sort of setting. So there's other girls that rent spaces where I work. So you've got a social aspect that comes with that yeah. as well. So I go in and we see them, we have a catch up, a bit of a moan, and then we do some work, a bit of a laugh. Then we're all dancing in reception. Um, you know. <laughs> yeah. But it, that, that's good as well, just being around people. I'm quite a social creature, to be honest. So. Yeah. I think we all are naturally, but as yeah, naturally, yeah, definitely. As things happen. You kind of like you kind of seclude yourself, don't you? As you as you grow older, I, I love my me time. Don't get me wrong, but I think <laughs> I, it's only so much of it I can put up with. <laughs> <laughs> and you said at the start of the podcast that this um, your job in aesthetics and, and you know what what you do that helps people with their confidence as well. So it does, you, yeah. yeah. Because at first, when I went into sort of aesthetics, I kind of felt like a bit of a fraud. Like, obviously, I felt like I should have been a general nurse to be able to do it. But now, actually, I think it's just as important. So there's been times where, you know, it, it, I do boost people's confidence. And it's lovely. Some women, they, they walk out and they're crying happy tears, obviously, because um, you've given them something back that they've lost, you know, yeah. replaced, uh, you know, by you know, because for them, you, your face is what everybody sees, isn't it? So yeah you can't really hide that so by, by replacing what they've lost due to aging or maybe a scar that you can help hide and wow. so that gives really does boost their confidence but there's been times where the mental health aspects come into hand like help because I've had people come in after having a baby or they're going through the menopause or they've just recently lost somebody and they're just doing something to kind of make them feel better and obviously that's not the right time to be messing about with your face so there's been times where I've turned them away and said no because at the time they're not been in the right headspace to be making those kind of decisions so yeah wow. that's that's brilliant so you're looking after their mental health as well as yeah. oh massively yeah really the two do go hand in hand and I've done so many so many courses so obviously because I obviously I think I overcompensated for you know what I thought that I was lacking but it's paid off in dividends because you know I, I do believe that I'm good at what I do and you know, I've built up a, a good business of, um, of you know, trust and honesty, you know, just being transparent and you know, nice to people and uh, just open and honest with what I can achieve and managing their expectations. And, and, you know, the people that I've said no to have come back when they are in the right place and said to me, thank you so much, you know, and they've come back and they have had treatment when they're in the right headspace. But obviously thanked me for saying no, because, you know, when they've gone away and thought about it, they've realised that that wasn't the right time for them either, so... That's so powerful. Well done to you. That's amazing. Well, thank you. There's a lot of people who just take the money. <laughs> but this is it. There are. That does happen, unfortunately, in this industry. Finally, then, Kim, uh, before we bring the show to the close, how could the listeners come and see you if they're thinking about having aesthetics or anything? Oh, so we're all over social media. So Instagram, Facebook, uh, we've got a website. The, the phone number's on the website. So it's Revamp Aesthetics Limited on Facebook and on Instagram. Um, I think we come up on top anyway on Google. So if you just search Revamp Redditch, it will come up anyway. But uh, yeah, but uh, yeah, it'd be nice to see someone. But um, yeah, see what happens. 
Oh, fantastic. Well, thank you so much uh, for your input today, Kim. It's, I hope it was helpful. Honestly, honestly, it's just, just, to, just to hear that side of the PTSD with the military and stuff and how, you know, it, it's, it's not, you know, it's not a massive thing like everybody thinks that it is. And, you know, yeah. anybody could get PTSD, anybody. Yeah. So if there's people sitting there and they've been dealing with this anxiety and depression and stress for years and they know that there's a traumatic event, then they should really um, explore that rather than keep being fobbed off as you're depressed. You're of course. I think sometimes as well, it's, I know that people sometimes they do need medication, but sometimes it's, you know, it's not necessarily the first, it shouldn't necessarily always be the first thing that happens, you know. Yeah, and I feel like we're in a in a society that is just throwing tablets out there. It, yeah, unfortunately, I didn't want to say that, but yeah, probably. <laughs> I will. I will. <laughs> we're quite strongly on the whole antidepressant. Sometimes uh, as well, just if it's sometimes about normalising things. So you know, if something's happened and you feel a certain way that it's because something's just happened. So sometimes it might not be a medical problem. Allowing yourself to be. You know, it's like when, when somebody passes away, unfortunately, there's a process that you have to go through to come out the other side. But it's the same when anything happens with like with the trauma. You need to process what's happened. So sometimes it's about normalising rather than medicalising. So if something's happened to you, then, you know, allowing yourself to feel that way because something has just happened that's not very nice. Yeah. You know, so being upset or whatever is okay because that's normal. That's a normal response to what's happened. Obviously, if, if the symptoms last for a prolonged period of time then that's the time to get help yeah. but yeah just talking to your friends and initially and you know you may be able to process it naturally and just if you allow yourself to feel what you feel and go through the process of processing it and then but then if the symptoms persist then obviously to go and get help yeah because I think sometimes like you said with the Americans their approach is very different and I think they're very quick to medicalize rather than normalize sometimes Yes, exactly that. And and I feel like looking, because I, I sit on the sidelines and watch these Facebook yeah. and Instagrams and I'm like, wow, because they are very much sort of like, you know, you've got to get the pills, you've got to, it's like, you know, everybody needs to have a condition and everybody needs yeah. to shrink as they call it or yeah or, yeah they've all got one <laughs> yeah, and it's like wow we, like you know yeah. and the UK's getting sucked down that pipe hole with it, it, I think so unfortunately but so it's about it in mental health and they're like oh you know he seems really depressed or his, his mum's just died I think his, his reaction's quite normal you know let's, let's let's just watch him and just you know right now and then we'll see you know obviously I can say if it persists and it's still you know mal maladaptive then yeah we get involved but yeah sometimes it is about normalizing rather than medicalizing yeah. but talking always helps exactly and I love what you said earlier I'll, I'll go back to that occupational in, in the army that you wanted them to stay and work because that's their purpose. yeah yeah that's social that's everything and I think we it's, are in a society where they go right that's it here's a script you can just sign sign you, yeah. and sit on your own yeah because we found once we did that, obviously it took, it wasn't the first ever, ever, you know, we always tried to keep them at work. But uh, eventually if it got to the point where somebody just couldn't stay at work and they were sent home, very rarely did they come back to work. So, you know, unfortunately. Yeah. So keeping people at work and functioning is, is very, very, you know, is important, I, I think. And I've seen it firsthand. And again, I'm only speaking from my own, my own opinion and experience. But yeah, keeping people functioning at work was, was you know, beneficial to their recovery. Yeah. And I also love what you said about the buddy to buddy, um, like, you know, when they're looking out for signs. And yeah. 
I think maybe we should all have a little bit of that education out here in, in yeah. Sydney, as they call it. So we can recognize in our friends, like, you know, are you yeah. okay? Are you not okay? We could, we could stop a lot of this before it gets too far. Definitely. Because like, like I said earlier, if you the earlier you catch it, then the easier it is to treat. And, you know, the, 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 it just is better to catch it earlier, like we said, but definitely looking out for each other and just looking out for changes in behavior people becoming distant you know not doing their normal things their normal activities mm-hmm. uh, you, you know it is very important to look after each other yeah oh my goodness well thank you so much Kim. Mm-hmm. It's been a wow that's all right today. and i wish you all the best in your business and oh thank you and you thank you so much and if anybody i'll, I'll leave your website underneath the write-up for this oh, thanks a lot so if anybody wants to come and see you and book in with you that'd be great oh thank you it's been a pleasure thank you so much Wait, Kim. just just off the cobwebs a little bit <laughs> yeah, good good i'm glad it made you feel a bit more uh like you want to get out there and get back into mental health i do yeah i do i will do it i just need to find it well it's one, when that 25th hour in the day comes in yeah. <laughs> bless you um, okay so thank you so much kim um you take care and maybe we'll see you, you soon Well, what a truly educational show that was. Kim explained that beautifully and has given me an idea to go and get myself some EMDR therapy. So, of course, I will relay my findings on to you. But that is all for this week. Join me next week where I deliver our last episode of this season and indeed this phase of the podcast. In next week's show, I'll be sharing with you the difference between CPTSD and PTSD and the findings that I've uncovered as to why getting a diagnosis is so goddamn hard. (laughs) So I hope you'll join me for that. But until then, stay safe, stay well, and I'll be back next Saturday. You've been listening to the It's a Crazy Life podcast. My name's Sarah, and I've been your host. This podcast is dedicated to raising awareness for mental health whilst helping to end this stigma.